caution stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, It's time once again for Evidence for Faith. This is the show where we teach you how to defend the truth of Christianity. Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks. I am Kirk Hastings, your guest host for the week. That's right. Uh, Kirk, thank you for filling in again. Sure. Uh, You filled in for me last week. Yeah. And today you're filling in for Mike. Unfortunately, Dr. Larrakis had to go to a funeral. He had a death in the family, so... He was driving down to Baltimore as I was driving up from Baltimore after getting off of... Did you wave to each other on the highway? Yeah, we we saw each other. It was just, you know, one of those freaky things. Yeah, no, we didn't. Um, But I had a vacation last week, went down to Baltimore. It's kind of nice to have a a cruise ship, one of the Carnival cruise ships that leaves from Baltimore, so you don't have to fly anywhere. You just drive down there, get on the ship, and they take you down where it's supposed to be warm. But I don't know, with all this global warming going on, it was kind of cold in the Bahamas. What was the temperature? uh, It was uh, like 62, 63. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. (laughs) While we were suffering up here in the snow and the cold. Exactly. Exactly. So so I had a good relaxing uh, vacation. But our best wishes to Mike uh, as he is uh, got some problems. So And uh, thanks again, Kirk, for filling in for us. Sure. If uh, you have not been introduced to Kirk Hastings, he is an author and apologist who lives locally here um, and wrote a book called What is Truth? So tell us about your book a little bit. We'll do, we'll do a commercial for you. Okay. Uh, do I have 30 seconds? You do. <laughs> Starting now. Okay. Uh, 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 okay. The subtitle is A Handbook for Separating Fact from Fiction in a Propaganda-Filled World. Cool. That's a mouthful, I know, but I just wanted to put that on the cover. Uh, basically, the book is about the historical and scientific evidences that support the documents of the Bible, and which there's quite a lot, more than probably most people know. And... Uh, and, and it is a very good book. It's exactly in line with the whole topic of this show. Yeah, which is, which why, is probably why I'm here. Exactly. That's why we <laughs> love having you on as a co-host. So um, so if you're interested in that book, you can get it at Amazon.com or... Yep, that's the easiest place. Or okay. any book bookstore could order a copy for you. Great, great. Well, I read a few interesting books I thought I would chat about uh, while I was on vacation I had this book since it was, well, I had it on my wish list since it was published in 2008, and I never got around to getting it, but I was down at the Inner Harbor there in Baltimore a day early before the cruise ship left, and they have a huge Barnes & Noble in this old converted power station. It's a really beautiful building, the way they've kept Mm. the uh, smokestacks and all that, so they have book stacks inside the smokestacks. It's great. Is that right on the waterfront? Yes. I was down there a few years ago, and I remember seeing a building like that, but I didn't go in it, so I guess that was probably the Barnes & Noble. Yep. I should have checked that out. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. So I saw this book on the sale 
uh, table, and it's called 10 Books That Screwed Up the World and <laughs> Five Others That Didn't Help by Benjamin Weicker. Just and, 10? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just 10. And uh, since uh, one of my hobbies is reading classical literature, I had read quite a few of these books, so it was really good. Uh, very informative. I loved his analysis, and I only disagreed with one his analysis of one book. So I think what I might do is make some notes from this, and uh, we one of the shows I'll talk about some of these ideas because they directly impact the Christian worldview, and because these are some of the arguments that are uh, anti-Christian that have come down through the ages, mm-hmm. and uh, so so it's a really uh, terrific analysis of what what's wrong with the information in those books and and how it contradicts uh, the truth found in the Christian worldview. Can I ask you what's the number one book that screwed us up? Well, he does it chronologically, so oh, I don't. By think which he's one was written first? The one, yeah, the one that he okay. has um, that was first one was the Prince by Machiavelli, and then he. He goes on from that and shows how the and the interesting thing is that all of the authors were atheists, and so they build on each other, hmm. uh, and things get worse and worse. And you know you've got Hitler in there with Mein Kampf and mm-hmm. on and on. So it's a so it's a, a pretty good. We'll go we'll go in depth on that uh, in future shows. I think I'll put those all on my do not read list. <laughs> now I don't know if we gave out the phone number, but if anybody's interested in calling to. Uh, agree, disagree, have questions, you can call us at 609-398-1020, or check out the website, evidenceforfaith.com, that's evidence, the number four, faith.com, and you can email us there, and we're monitoring the emails live, so if you want to email instead of calling, you can just go to that website, click on the contact, and the email will come straight to us. So, another book that I started reading while I was on vacation, I picked this up. This is called Life After Death, The Evidence by Dinesh D'Souza. And Dinesh is a popularizer. He takes a lot of the philosophical ideas that are out there, a lot of the scientific ideas, and then popularizes it, makes it take, brings it down to the everyday reading level and mm-hmm. Uh, lets people know what's going on at some of these higher levels and institutions of higher learning and what the scientists and uh, philosophers are discovering with their research. So this is really fascinating. I have had my fingers on the pulse of this topic for a while, so actually I haven't seen anything new that I didn't know, but a lot of people might not know about some of the evidences that there are for life after death, some of the near-death experiences that have been very, very well documented because they occurred inside teaching hospitals where there are immediately the presence of researchers on the spot who could examine uh, these near-death experiences. And so a lot of information has come from that. And also with the neurobiologists, uh, uh, neuroscientists who've been studying the brain with PET scanners, which is a way of looking at the flow of electricity through the brain and have been able to determine that there is something separate in the brain that they can call the mind or the soul that Hmm. seems to control the brain and not the other way around because the atheists would tell us 
Mm-hmm. Well, the brain, you know, what you're thinking and the emotions that you have, that's all chemicals, it's all hormones, it's all synapses firing, it's all electri- electricity in your head. Right. And that's what's your consciousness. That's your thinking. And it turns out the evidence shows that's actually not true. It's the other way around, that the thoughts in your head are actually rewiring and reworking the chemistry of your brain. Wow. Yeah, so uh, really fascinating stuff. And so I think we'll go in more depth on that also in the future. I'd like to read that one. Yeah, it's a, it looks like a good, it looks like a very good book. Well, a couple of news items. I always keep the news that has to do with global warming, and not because global warming has anything to do with the Christian worldview, anything like that. It's just that it's a really good example of showing to people how science can be politicized mm-hmm. and how scientists claiming that they are totally objective, that they're following only the data, are actually following their own pet peeves, their own interests. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're following the flow of money. If there's money to be made and there are uh, studies and donations and uh, research funds available for them, they will go the way the money flows. And a lot of that has led to a lot of bad science called global warming. This, This item came out a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it's that that uh, professor Phil Jones. Have you been following this one on the news, Kirk? This mm, is the guy. No, I don't recognize that name. Okay. Well, he's the guy that invented that hockey stick-looking graph that shows that you've got temperatures slowly cooling off over a long period of time, over decades, and then all of a sudden, when you reach the industrial age, you've got this high spike in temperatures. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that developed that graph, and he works at the Climate Research Unit of the University of East Anglia in England, and that is the main source of information for the UN's climate science body. So all of this is coming, he is one of the chief guys. He was the guy that was implicated in all those emails, the the scandal, the emails going back and forth. That I heard about. Yeah, well, he was one of the guys who was saying that they would destroy the evidence rather than give it away to any kind of um, uh, investigation to Mm. whether they were drumming up the evidence or not. Uh, He's the guy that the emails showed that he wrote emails to publishers of scientific um, journals telling them that unless they fired certain editors, one in specific, one specifically, that they would not uh, send any more articles to that journal. And so that they would blackball that journal from the university's uh, publishing source if they did not fire an editor who disagreed with them. Mm-hmm. That's the kind, that's the level of uh, th- the way things are in the political world of science today. So it's so not much for free speech and free inquiry. Exactly. You know? So, so you know, it's not that we really, um, as for a theme of the show, care that much about the temperature of the earth, what it currently is, although it's mm. been pretty cold lately. <laughs> Um, Tell us about it. The point is that it goes. It goes to show that this is the way s- science happens. And if if you buck against the uh, establishment view, you will be punished. And it's the same with evolution. If you are a scientist doing research and it looks to you like things were intelligently designed, you better be careful, or you'll lose your job. Mm-hmm. 
And isn't the the global warming thing, isn't it really kind of based on uh, the left-wing ideology, environmentalism, that, you know, it's the the gases from our factories and our cars and everything that are causing this, so they want to do away with all these things, and they don't want you to use your cars anymore. Exactly and right. This is an excuse for them to say, look, if you keep doing this, it's going to harm the earth, so you have to stop it. Exactly right. And so any kind of evidence that supports their view in any way, that they trump up. And any evidence that doesn't seem to support their view, they try to squash. Suppress, right. Yeah, exactly. Including getting people fired over it. Because right. what's more important, this one person's job or saving the planet? Right. So, you know, they, they, they don't care who gets crushed because they are going to save the planet. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. if they God, have to God kill help us, us to do it. That's right. God help <laughs> us from people who are trying to save the planet. Well— for the last couple of weeks, Mike and I, and Mike and you last week, have been going over some arguments about the existence of God and how someone can know which religion in the world is the correct religion. Mm-hmm. And we've done that in the past, but on a more surface level. So the approach has been the last several weeks is to dig down deeply and go more in-depth into some of these evidences. But I want to give people who are listening a kind of overview uh, once again uh, to get a feel before we get in-depth today. And we should mention, too, that uh, these are based on some notes by J.P. Moreland. That's right, one of the professors at uh, Biola University. Right. And his argument is, how would he best explain to a non-believer that Christianity is true. Mm -hmm. Well, he has a three-part argument. The first is, what he would do is he would show that God exists, okay? Secondly, he would then compare the different world religions and see how they match up against what we know about the existence of God. Mm -hmm. And then third, he would ask the person to try it out. When you've come to the conclusion of which of the many world's religions is the most accurate, um, then try it out. Mm-hmm. So he has uh, to show that God exists. He wants to first look at nature, and he does that by looking at something called the Kalam argument, which, which is an argument that the universe has a beginning, and therefore it has a beginner, and also looks at the design argument, that the universe shows evidences of being designed and therefore must have had a designer. Mm-hmm. And... Secondly, so that's looking at the natural world, not looking at any kind of uh, religious books first, but looking first at the universe, nature, what do we see? And then turning inward into human beings, what do we know about ourselves, and specifically that we are moral creatures, that we discern the differences between right and wrong. We Mm -hmm. don't always get it right, we don't always get it correct, but we definitely try to figure out what's right and wrong and how our actions are right and wrong and that this shows that there is a moral law giver. So, and even though there are some little cultural differences between societies as to what they consider right and wrong, there are basic uh, moral truths that seem to be true everywhere. Everyone seems to accept them. Exactly correct. And that, because of that, that indicates that there's a moral law giver. 
So right. we'll get, we'll try to get, that's one of the detailed things we're going to try to get into today. So, but again, on this overview, so that's how he would show that God exists. Then he would compare the different world religions and see, does the God of that particular religion match what we have found out from nature, from studying nature and the universe? And does that match the kind of God or this or the God that we've figured out from the moral argument? That sounds kind of like the way I came to Christianity. Well, that's kind of what I did when I was searching. Well, tell us a little bit about that for those who haven't heard. Well, I uh, uh, came into uh, contact with some Christian groups, mm-hmm. uh, Campus Crusade for Christ mm-hmm. and a couple others, and they were the first ones who faced me with the idea of you know the Bible being God's word and uh, who Jesus Christ was. And after they told me all this, I was like, okay, that's fine, but, you know, there's a whole bunch of other religions out there, too. How do I know this is the right one? So I kind of started a a little project of my own to go out there and kind of uh, read and collect as much evidence as I could for the different religions of the world to see how they stacked up against each other. Okay. And I kept coming back to the fact that the Bible seemed to have much more going for it than any of the basis for any Mm -hmm. of the other religions. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, kept coming back to that again and again. And, of course, I've been a Christian for about 34 years now, and I I still continue to read Mm -hmm. this type of material about, you know, archaeological evidence and whatever. And it's just amazing how much the evidence supports the Bible, but yes. does when you get down to it, does not support most of the other, you know, so-called holy books. Right. You know, I don't want to pick out any one in particular, but I found personally that when I studied how the different books were put together, what they said, and how uh, historical research matched up to what they were saying, mm-hmm. the Bible always seemed to fit, but the other ones didn't. Right. And that's the argument that J.P. would give, that J.P. Moreland would give, that by comparing what we can know, what we can learn just by studying nature and the <coughs> and the universe, um, and comparing it to the different religions, we can see mm-hmm. what's what's correct. Also, um, does the world religion address uh, in a significant way the human? problem, the, right. the ideas of human suffering and um, the realities of life that we face and the presence of good and evil in life, does do the, are those things um, addressed significantly by this religion? That was another thing that I found in studying the different religions, is that the religions other than Judaism and Christianity really either do not deal with the quote-unquote human problem at all, Mm -hmm. or they deal with it in a very superficial, legendary, mythological way. Right, or or just say, uh, get rid of it, it's not real, like there's no such thing as evil, there's no such thing as sickness, and just forget it, it's an imaginary... Try to reach nirvana and not think about any of it. (laughs) Exactly, right. But Um, unfortunately, when you try not to think about it, it's still kind of comes back and kicks you in the teeth. Right. <laughs> so then the third criteria that he has for um, uh, comparing the different world religions is, is there a supernatural activity associated with this uh, religion? Mm-hmm. So uh, is, for instance, if um, Jesus really is the Messiah, 
as claimed by Christianity, then we would expect that there would have been some kind of supernatural activity going on that mm-hmm. God would be able to say, put his stamp of approval on the claims of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and say, yes, this this is my messenger, listen to him. Right. So if you don't find that, if you find that you have somebody who uh, stands up in the crowd and starts a new religion, but there are no supernatural evidences, and it doesn't have anything to do with any of the previous truths that that God has explained, um, you can begin to think, well, this probably isn't right. There's nothing supernatural going on here, so there's no way, there's no um, evidence, or at least God doesn't appear to be giving any evidence to support this person speaking. So. Right. So, and for me, when I was searching, it seemed reasonable to me that if God really does exist, he would give us some kind of evidence to know what he's like so mm-hmm. we would be able to right. tell. Right. He wouldn't just leave us totally in the dark with right. nothing to go on. Right. So um, so that's, that's his argument, showing that God exists, examining and comparing the different world religions, and then trying it out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Assumably, by going through this process, you wind up with the idea that Christianity is likely to be the true religion, and so you try it out. You actually uh, ask for forgiveness, ask Jesus to come into your heart, join a church, start reading the Bible, and become a Christian. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the process, and that's the process that we've been going through in detail. And we looked at the Kalam argument, we looked at the fact that the universe had a beginning, um, and you and Mike last week went over the philosophical evidence for that from the fact that there is no such thing as infinities. So right. since the universe cannot be infinitely old, therefore it must have had a beginning. And then, Most atheistic philosophies fall back on the idea that the universe has always been here, it always right. will be here. That's right. You know, they they fall back on this idea of infinity quite a bit, but mm-hmm. when you pin them down to explain how is that possible, the, you know, they can't. No, that's right. So because infinity is nothing more than a mathematical tool that's used to help us solve mathematical problems. It doesn't have anything to do with a physical world, just as negative numbers have nothing to do with a physical world, we use negative numbers to solve mathematical problems, Right. And but they don't actually exist. There aren't any negative chairs or negative microphones in this studio. Well, Mike and I last week were discussing the idea that in the real physical world, there really is no such thing as anything that is infinite. Right. That doesn't have a beginning or an end. That's right. And, And people... Uh, fall back because, you know, they hear the atheistic explanations about the universe so much that, and many atheists still hold to this without realizing the fallacy of their view. For instance, they'll say that the universe is infinitely large or that there are Mm -hmm. an infinite number of galaxies in the universe. Well, we know that that is not possible because— There, it, there isn't any such thing as anything being infinite in the We asked the question universe. last week, mm-hmm. point, point us to something in the world that you can look at and say this is infinite. Right. And there really, you can't come up with anything. And then you guys also looked at the physical evidence for the beginning of the universe with the second law of therm- thermodynamics and mm-hmm. how that shows that the universe had a beginning. So the Kalam argument is that the universe had a beginning, uh, therefore, it had a cause. Um, you also looked at that question, 
if God caused the universe, what could cause God? Right. Right. And you pointed out, go ahead and tell people, because I come, liked your answer very We good. come to the idea of an uncaused cause, mm-hmm. which if you follow anything back either logically or mathematically long enough, you have to come to an uncaused cause. Right. That is the initial cause of everything else. And that we would call God. Right. That's so what then, we call God. Well, then, so what about the answer to the question, what caused God? Who made God? Well, no one caused God. <laughs> right. Why? Because definitionally, we've already said God is that which was uncaused. And that even atheists agree with us when we say if God was real, he would have to be an uncaused cause. Right. They accept that, but they just say, well, I don't believe that's true. Right. But they ex- do accept that as a definition for God. Exactly and right. the other thing that amuses me, though, about atheists a lot of time is if you try to talk to them about God being an uncaused cause, they'll laugh at you and say, oh, that's impossible. But then they'll turn around and say that the universe itself has been here forever and is basically an uncaused cause. <laughs> right, right. So they're really just switching, you know, uh-huh. one definition for another. <laughs> right, right. Well, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings. And you can join the conversation anytime by calling 609-398-1020 and check us out on evidenceforfaith.com, the website. You can listen to podcasts of previous shows there, too. We have all of them, I uh, believe. Well, I have not completely finished uploading the last, like, one month is all. We have about a month's worth to, to upload, and then they'll all be there. Now, you guys started last week, you began to talk about the design argument. This is the uh, second uh, phase of the argument for proving that God exists by the presence of design. So we're going to take a look at uh, a part of design called order. So the fact that order exists in the universe uh, means that there is something that caused that order because Uh, There's no reason that order necessarily has to be a part of the universe. Order can't create itself. Yes. Something has to be ordered by something else. Very good. That's right. That's right. And and what we, we do have in the universe, we find that objects, that physical objects, are ordered. They're orderly. And they obey laws in a very orderly manner, and the laws themselves are very orderly. Right. So, and it doesn't matter— Such as the law of gravity. Always exactly. works the same way, no matter what. That's right. And and because of that, because we can depend on that, it enables us to, to make tremendous scientific advances and technology and land people on the moon right. with rocket um, uh, technology because we know exactly what's going to happen. We know if you shoot— a so much mass with so much force in such and such a direction, we know exactly what's going to happen two weeks later. It's going to always react exactly the same way. That's right. So that shows a very high level of order mm-hmm. to the universe, and it and it's present throughout. It's present in at the level of atoms. You know, they're very specifically ordered objects. The nuclei of a of an atom has just the right number of neutrons balanced by protons, and then orbiting it is just the right number of electrons Mm -hmm. that make a certain substance a certain way. Mm -hmm. And if you change the numbers, you get different 
uh, substances and you get different reactions. You end up with an atomic explosion. <laughs> oh, you can. Yes, you can do that too. So, Which you, is the opposite of order. <laughs> yes. Yeah, now see, that's, it's that's not... extreme disorder. It's not that there's no such thing as disorder in the universe. I right. mean, think of it this way, the snowstorm this week. Okay, if you looked out your window, you might see blowing snow going crazy all over. Mm-hmm. And it would seem, wow, that's very um, unordered, very disordered. But if you look at it at different levels, like you go down to a snowflake and you look at that, that's mm-hmm. actually structurally extremely ordered, very right. precisely and ordered. And very complex. And if you move out to a larger, maybe the uh, weather system, you find that that system's actually quite ordered. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the radar um, screens that were showing the what the storm was doing, it was mm-hmm. rotating in this wonderful pattern. You know, it's actually very ordered, right. working by laws of nature and right. allowing scientists to predict where the storm is going to move next. If we Even live, things like hurricanes and storms are yeah. following a certain type, there um, certain types of physical laws that are causing those things to happen. Exactly, and right. it always happens the same way. The Ex- same cause gets the same effect. Exactly right. So um, yeah, take the laws of chemistry. You know, chemical elements. Uh, operate in very specific ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the sciences that we call an exact science. Because if you do the experiment exactly right, you get exactly the same result. And it's one way that scientists can check up on each other. If, if there was not order to the universe, I could tell you I mixed chemical A with chemical B and I got chemical C then in your lab, you would say, oh, okay, well, this is what Keith did. He mixed chemical A with chemical B. I'm doing it exactly the same way, and I get chemical D. Right. Now, that that would be what you would get in a disordered universe, but it, that's yep. not what we have. And they couldn't teach you chemistry that way. If it didn't follow certain laws the same way all the time, they couldn't teach it to you because mm-hmm. it would always be changing. Right. Right. Exactly right. So science operates that way. Science depends on the fact that there is order in the universe. Right. In fact, if we didn't think that there was order in the universe, there wouldn't be any reason to go exploring the universe to try to figure out how it works. And it's one of the arguments of why Christianity uh, is the worldview that produced science in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. Many other worldviews, Eastern worldviews, um, Middle Eastern worldviews, uh, look at the world differently, and they don't think of it as being ordered precisely, but that it's cyclical, for instance. They'll think that what goes around comes around, mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's illusory, you know, that the Earth isn't really real, physical objects aren't really real, they're an illusion, a dream of God. So then, in a sense, then, you there's no reason to go investigate it. Right. So, um, so that's why a lot of pagan religions they made no attempt to understand the world around them because right. they thought that it was random and chaotic and there wasn't any way to understand it. So why bother? Exactly right. So it was the Christian worldview that brought science into being. Uh huh. And science works on order, but science cannot explain order. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's not just that science. Um, hasn't explained order yet. It's that that science can't explain 
order, the the origination of order, because science is simply looking at the. It's like looking at the how. It's like right. looking at the order itself, and if A plus B equals C, what next? Right. But it doesn't. It doesn't decide. That's more of a philosophical or theological question of where did order originally come from. Science helps to explain how, but it can't explain why. Right. And that's and it's because the presupposition for science is that there's order. Otherwise it wouldn't science wouldn't be able to explain anything. Right. There wouldn't be anything to discover. So um, if all you have is science, then there will always be order that's inexplicable. You know, it's kind of an endless mm-hmm. regress. You know, uh, what caused this? What caused that? And go back and go back further and further, but you never get to the original question of what caused uh, order in itself. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that atheists have to fall back on is they say, well, it was an accident. We have we, order just because it accidentally came together that way. Right. And not a very convincing. But when have you ever seen order come about by accident? Uh, never. I like to use the example, if you leave your house alone for a month and uh-huh. don't clean it or, or do anything to it, see how long it stays in order. Exactly right. It's not going to. <laughs> no, it won't. It's going to fall apart The longer slowly. you leave it alone, the more disordered it's going to get. <laughs> That's right. Until you come in and order it. <laughs> so science has to assume order in order to explain it, in order to be useful for us. Right. It has to assume that there is order. So there's no scientific explanation for ultimate order in the universe. No. So so um, there's just, um, you know, there's just, they just say that uh, there's no explanation possible. That's one way that they say that, that order is just a Or brute... that famous phrase, we don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, either we don't know. Where did know... the universe come from? We don't know. Okay, and which is how did the first living thing evolve? We don't know, right? <laughs> et cetera, uh, et cetera. Is, which is fine because then we would say, well, as Christians, we do know. That's where the Bible comes in. So we the have, Bible we tells an us why and how it started, and we also know strictly from philosophical pursuits, from knowing that order doesn't come from disorder. Right. So we can know even outside of the Bible. We can simply know through pure reason that there had to be a God, a creator, a an order maker. We may not know exactly who and what that God is, but reason would lead us to mm-hmm. a, uh, as they like to say today, an intelligent designer. Right. And that is a logical explanation for why there's order in the universe, mm-hmm. is a designer. Okay, so... We've got this designer, and let's say the atheists say, um, okay, it's just a brute force. This is one of the other tactics that they'll do. Just get used to it. Um, There's order in the universe. Uh, It's a brute fact of the universe, and it's just simply part of the universe. So get over it. Stop trying to explain where order came from. Uh, It's a brute fact of the universe get used to it. Well, couldn't we apply that to science, too, and say, well, you know, 
things are the way they are, why bother with science then? Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So it's a kind of a negation of science itself to, to right. say Right. They're contradicting say themselves saying that. That's right. On the one hand, they want to keep science, but on the other hand, they want to say, well, that's just the way things are. Don't worry about it. Right. You now, can't one of, do both. One of the things that JP uh, will say, uh, JP Moreland will say, is that there is a explanation for order from personality, from the personal part of the universe. Why? Because what we regularly experience, like um, Kirk, at your house, uh, if you left to come here this afternoon and the house was kind of a mess mm-hmm. and uh, Sally is home and you get back home, what do you think will have happened? Well, if the house is in order when I get back, I would assume that Sally did it. Exactly right. Because <laughs> It didn't just order itself. Exactly right. So what we find is that, um, that persons like order. Persons make things orderly. Mm-hmm. Persons are constantly straightening things up. Persons are constantly tidying things. Could we say that uh, order is kind of an outgrowth of intelligence? Uh, well, it's a good way of looking at it. It's a good way of looking at it. At least there's uh, this idea that a personal um, actor, a personal choice maker, can bring order about. Because, like, for instance, animals don't necessarily order their environment, although to some extent That's I right. guess some of them do, like birds build nests and things like that. That's right. But they don't. Uh, create order in the same way that intelligent human beings create order in that, you know, uh, an ultimate example of order would be building a skyscraper. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have detailed plans and engineers who know exactly what they're doing and builders who know exactly what they're doing to create that skyscraper. And it's really, when it's finished, it's a beautiful example of order. Absolutely. uh, Engineering order. Absolutely. Absolutely. But even something as simple as the setting for a dinner table. Let's say that right. you, you had very graciously invited me over to dinner at your house. Sally doesn't know this yet, but <laughs> so what would? But if she did know, what would she do? What would I find when I got there? Would I find an orderly table with all the settings just right? And the she'd run out and get a bucket of KFC. <laughs> no, she wouldn't. <laughs> So there would be plates and cups, and everything would be very nice oh, yes, and, and orderly. She's, she's very good at that. She sets an excellent table. So, so, And it's because of her personality, and it's because she's preparing this table for another person. Right. So there is something about personality and persons that likes order and likes things to be neat, and she knows that mm-hmm. about other persons. Mm-hmm. So because she knows that... Other persons like orderliness, too. She orders things, mm-hmm. and she puts them in order, makes them all very neat. Order is really easier to deal with than disorder. Mm-hmm. So we really, I think we like order because it's easier to deal with. Exactly. So our point is that given that there is no scientific explanation to explain order itself, and there's no reason to simply leave it out there. I mean, why should we just leave it as a brute force like the atheists want us to, you know, just ignore the question? And given that we have evidence that persons create order, then it's reasonable to suggest that there's a personal explanation Mm -hmm. 
and we explain it in the way of an intelligent designer who creates order in the universe mm-hmm. because of being a person mm-hmm. and creating order for other persons. So he that, orders everything in the world, and then we come in and mess it all up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So that is the argument for design from order. Now, there's another argument for design that we have gone into some on this show in the past, and that is called the fine-tuning of the universe. What and this is really mean? related to order, too. Yes. When you think of it. Yes, it is. It's orderly, and it has to do with design. Right. So it's the idea that in the past 25 to 30 years, scientists have discovered very delicately balanced constants of nature. Now, That make life on this planet possible. Possible, that's right. That and, don't exist on any other planet that we know of so far. And even you don't have to go to the planetary level. We can talk about the universe as a whole. There are constants for the universe, such as the force of gravity, mm-hmm. um, such as the mass of a proton at rest, right. the charge of an electron, um, and other factors. The speed like, of light, things yes, like that. Yes, exactly. They are constants. Now, why, if they're constants, then you say, oh, well, then if they're constant, that means they're always stuck the same, they're the same, and so that's just the way they are. But what scientists have discovered is that they don't have to be what they are, that they could have been something else. In fact, they could mm-hmm. have been almost anything else. Mm-hmm. And the reason they know this is because when they do the formulas, when they do the mathematical formulas for the physics of these items, like the force of gravity, mm-hmm. the math works out with these factors being just about anything else. Hmm. So they don't have to be what they are. They right. simply are the way they are. And when you go back to the time of the Big Bang, when everything was collapsed into nothingness, it had just, it's, um, uh, you know, a uh, non-existent... A little ball of very dense uh, something. <laughs> well, immediately, that would be immediately after the creation of the universe, you've got this very, very high, highly dense uh, universe that doesn't have any, there's no force of gravity, there are no electrons, there are no protons. Um, no physical laws. No physical yet. laws that are operating yet. Right. And then everything begins to expand. Now you get physical, physical objects um, essentially condensing out of the energy, physical laws coming into effect. When, at that time, when those factors are set, Incredibly, they are all set to work exactly for there to be a universe that can support life. Hmm. Now, this is one of the very strong evidences that has been so persuasive that even atheists say that it poses strong evidence that a personal creator does exist. Mm -hmm. And these numbers are just really uh, incredibly delicately balanced. I mean, uh, just to give you an example, let's say you had a a ruler that stretched from one end of the galaxy to the other end of the galaxy. So we're talking about a really long ruler. Now, some of these numbers are so precisely set that you would have to find a one-inch mark 
that the number would have to fall somewhere on within one inch in a specific spot on that ruler in order to allow life to exist hmm. in the universe. Otherwise, there isn't any life. That's like that old uh, uh, story about spread uh, a bunch of quarters, you know, half a mile right. thick over the state of Texas. And then what are the odds of you sticking your hand in and coming up with one specific quarter? That's been marked, right. Exactly. Right. That's That's the chances that... Even it's like impossible, these, right? It's impossible for it to have happened accidentally. It just it, it boggles the mind, right? So why would all these numbers and there are many of them? There's not we mentioned a few of them, but there are many, many of these numbers that have to be precisely tuned, like the temperature of the sun and the distance of the Earth from the sun, so we get just the right amount of heat. And, exactly. You, know, you can you can have dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of that type of thing. So and and that means that there are a lot of scientists now that are seriously looking into intelligent design because this evidence has been so strong, and right. it really suggests a, a creator. But unfortunately, because of the political pressure to believe in evolution, I think a lot of them don't want to talk about it, even though they're leaning in that direction. Well, what do they talk about then? What What do they talk about instead of uh, this fine-tuning of the universe. They've come up with a solution. Yes. Well, if you can call it a solution. <laughs> right, well. There's an infinite number of different universes there you go. that exist. Yeah, we had a caller. And we just happened to be the one where things worked out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And uh, But what's the evidence of the existence of these other universes? Well, that the, the fact is there absolutely is no evidence to support this view at right. all. It's um, human imagination that came up with that idea. That's right. That's right. So um, so they have this idea that there's some kind of universe-creating mechanism out there um, <laughs> that's just uh, spitting out uh, universes, and universes are constantly being birthed. <laughs> and for infinity past, there has been these universes being uh, spit out. And so we just happen to be in the one that supports life because we're alive, right? I mean, if we were in one of the other universes, we wouldn't be there. We'd be dead, so we couldn't— We wouldn't be there to think about it. Exactly, right. So <laughs> so this is their argument. So, um, But the, the, the real problem is, is that this is a what we call an uh, ad hoc argument. This is words, actually a very—was back in the 60s when I was a kid growing up. This was a very popular idea in um, science fiction circles and, if I can say this, comic book circles. Uh -huh. I used to read comic books as a kid that talked about this idea of there were multiple universes right. out there. Right. And, you know, you'd have a comic book where Superman would travel from this universe to one of the other universes where everything's different. Right. You know, his friends look different and they have different names. And, I mean, this was a great fictional idea to come up with these stories because you could bend the rules of the stories any way you wanted to and come right. up with new stories. Right. But then it seems like as these people that grew up with these comic books grew up, they took this idea a little too seriously, and now they're trying right. to say, well, this, you know, there really are multiple universes out there, and, you know, we don't know what any of them are like, but they're out there somewhere. Now, and I don't have a problem with the idea of there being other universes. Uh, in fact, I think you could probably say that, well, the Bible was already there ahead of you. 
Now, the Bible talks about two other universes. It talks about a universe called heaven and a universe right. called hell. I was just going to say, so, you could almost think of heaven as another universe. As a parallel universe. Sure. Right. It's something we have no, there's no way to physically get any evidence that it's there. Right. Um, it's this kind of alternate dimension which you can pass into or out of, like angels could come to our physical universe, and when you die, you will pass into that right. parallel universe. So so I don't really have a problem, per se, with other universes, and even some uh, scientists have uh, looked at the physics of the uh, sp- uh, space-time dimension and claim that there are actually 10 different dimensions, and an hmm. 11th one is time, and so that these these other dimensions are tightly coiled up in the three-dimensional space that we see. So they have mm. mathematical theories that point to that, and and I don't have any um, philosophical for reason for saying that that can't possibly be true, but I do have a philosophical reason for arguing that the infinite universe theory uh, has to be false philosophically goes back okay. to at the beginning of the show, we talked about the fact that there is no such thing as infinite anythings. Right. So there cannot be an infinite number of universes. Right. Okay. So, you know, uh, let alone, and then the, the second problem is that you have then, you're simply pushing back the creator then. If the universe creating machine is what created our universe than what created the universe-creating machine. Right. So, you know... And what's the nature of this universe-creating machine? Right. They can't even answer that. No, you can't. You can't. By definition, you can't because What could create universes other than, you know, an intelligence? Right. So... um, So you're still back to the same question about God. Exactly right. So it's obviously just an attempt to avoid the evidence for an intelligent designer, and that's where this ad hoc argument comes in it's ad hoc just means that's it's a theory that's added on uh to to try to make up for the fact that you don't have any evidence right so it's just added on and it and and it shouldn't be believed it's only there to um build their case uh, because they don't have any evidence or as it says here it's just an attempt to avoid the evidence that points toward an intelligent designer correct so um, so that is the evidence from for design from the fine-tuning of the universe. But we've got time, I think, just to cover a little bit on another evidence for design in the universe, and that comes from information in the DNA. Mm-hmm. So what we have to we, – what we can do is draw a distinction then between uh, something that happens randomly – Something that happens ordered, and we looked at order in the universe, mm-hmm. and then something that we call information, mm-hmm. which is even more complex. It's at another level altogether than order itself. So, you know, people are familiar, you know, most of us work with computers, and so we're familiar with the concept of random, and you can get a random number generator right. you know, that will just give you random numbers. And they that means that those numbers don't relate to anything else. Right. They're not connected in any way. There's no pattern. Right. And and so there's no pattern, no connectedness, no message, and that's what randomness is. So order is something that's structurally 
um, consistent. S- yes, exactly. So if we think of a text that is written out A B C A B C A B C A B C five hundred times. Mm-hmm. Okay, now is that random? No. No, it's not random. Uh, is it orderly? To some extent. Yes, it is. It's orderly. A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C. That's very orderly. But the problem is that it's also very simple. It doesn't say anything. Yeah. It doesn't... Now, what do you mean by it doesn't say anything? That's very good. It doesn't say anything means it doesn't refer to anything else. It doesn't right. have any meaning. Right. Okay. No meaning. That's a good way to put it. But we find things in the universe. Unless you're talking about one of the TV networks, ABC. (laughs) ABC, ABC, ABC. That's right. It's meaningless. Could be a commercial for a TV network. (laughs) So, so something that's ordered is very simple. Takes few instructions to produce it. You could write a real simple um, computer program. Sure. You know, print ABC and repeat. And it would just loop over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and also, if you erased part of it, it wouldn't really change anything to speak of, right? Mm-hmm. If you erased one of the B's in the middle of it, does that really do anything to it? No, no, it doesn't. Okay? Nothing significant because there's nothing dependent that that particular B wasn't really there for anything, right? So it doesn't nothing. So you don't miss it. That's right. Now the scientists use this type of information, the idea that there's something above the simplistic and orderly, that there's information at this at a, a different level of the physical universe that can be structured in a certain way, information in the SETI program. So the search for extraterrestrials, um, that program, you know, and the, it, if anybody remembers the movie Contact, they they talked about that program. They have made a careful distinction of these three different levels of the universe, randomness, order, and information, so that they can figure out if someone is trying to contact them, right? right. If there's an intelligence out if there. If we get a signal from outer space, we'll be able to tell whether it's just a random thing or whether something intelligent is sending it Uh to us. Because information only comes from intelligence. Right. So to get to that level, to get to that higher hierarchy of uh, structure called information, you have to have an intelligence. Right. So when you have something and that's the kind of structure that we find in the DNA. For instance, the Encyclopedia Britannica didn't write itself. Exactly right. And DNA, I hate to tell you this, didn't write itself. DNA, even though it has thousands of times more information in it than the, than the encyclopedia does. Precisely because of that, we can know that it did not write itself. Yep. That it was the product of an intelligence. Just as the SETI program knows that if they found, let's say, the first 20 prime numbers in a row being beamed to them from outer space, mm-hmm. they would know absolutely that this was caused by an intelligence. And right. yet the scientists refuse to uh, look at, at the, the same evidence same in DNA. In the DNA, that it is structured, it, it has information in it. That is to say that what's in the DNA actually means something. Mm-hmm. It's actual information that refers to something outside of itself. And so we can know 
without a doubt that DNA is caused by an intelligence. Mm -hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Evidence for Faith with Keith Kendricks and author and uh, apologist Kirk Hastings. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for more reasons to believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. Which way should I go?